Hello fellow sports photographers. My name is Dean Mukhtaropoulos, or All Sports Snapper, and I'm a sports photographer working full-time for Getty Images. Welcome to the Photography Philosophy Podcast, where I have open discussions with the world's best sports photographers. I hope this will give you a bit of an insight behind the long lenses from the men and women who fill our back pages with we- uh, and websites and magazines, of course, with amazing sports imagery. My guess is that this will be one of many podcasts you'll listen to, so you know the drill. Get in contact with me via Twitter, at AllSportsNapper, or my website, AllSportsNapper.com, with any questions or suggestions. Dakar podcast, again, update, is um, almost done. So in the meantime, enjoy one of my favorite guests that I've ever interviewed, and also one of my favorite uh, sports photographers. Um, In this 11th episode, I speak to Mark Leach an award-winning photo agency owner with 43 years' experience as a sports photographer. Yes, that's right, you heard. 43 years working in and around all levels of football um, or soccer to our American friends, um, working in the football industry, amazing. Professional, uh, Premier League, World Cups, you name it. He has an amazing memory for detail from throughout his career, so we spoke about... Many things, including the Heisel disaster in 1985, where 39 deaths occurred at a football match, um, being a photographer in the 70s and 80s and dealing with football hooligans, um, as a fan, paying 60p to get into a game. I mean, that's like one American dollar, one Aussie dollar to get into a match of football. This was back in the 70s, of course. Um, Shooting the simple stuff at a match, uh, getting your head out of a laptop to shoot more, looking behind you at a game for the real shot of the day. Um, only shooting in prime lenses, that's right, no zooms for uh, Mark, only prime lenses, and uh, one of my favorite lines from any show, shooting in photogenic rain. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Okay, welcome to Photography Philosophy Podcast, and uh, my next guest is a, uh, is a, I'm sure you won't mind me saying this, uh, Mark, he's uh, been around for a few years now and um, it's one of the main reasons I wanted to get you on here is because uh, you're one of the veterans of um, sports photography in the UK and worldwide really, aren't you? So um, let's start with the name and where you're from and all the basic stuff, please. Okay, my name is Mark Leach. I was went to school, brought up in Harlow, Newtown in Essex and started work in at Sporting Pictures photo agency in uh, central London in 1973. Wow. Okay, cool. So when I say Fleet Street to you, you know um, that means something to you, unlike uh, most modern photographers. Yeah, I mean, it's it looks like some corporate banking venues now, but to drive your Cortina around, I can see it now, turn right <laughs> down Bouverie Street, try not to get a huge roll of... Uh, Newsprint dropped on your car. You know, they blocked the road off. I thought, can't wait. Duck down, run up three flights of stairs, drop your pictures at the sun, turn left at the bottom, Daily Mail, come back up to the top, turn right into Fleet Street, which was double yellow lines. But I just learned from my bosses, you just parked it, ran in the telegraph, and um, then drove down the hill, ran up to the Daily Express. And um, if it was a night game, you'd probably stop for a a sandwich in Mix Cafe, which was 24 hours, and all the printers were in there. <laughs> I love this. So that was, um, that was Fleet Street, as I knew it, yeah. 
Well, this is the thing. Um, you know, a uh, friend of ours, uh, Mike King, who uh, had been mentioned in previous podcasts, who passed away recently. You know, he's sort of uh, one of these uh, guys that uh, you knew fairly well as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, I knew, I knew Mike. Mike wasn't. I mean, Mike worked in Fleet Street. He must have worked at the Sunday Telegraph. I'm guessing while it was still there, and he obviously worked um, on the newspaper, The Observer, which was just off Fleet Street. But Mike was. He wasn't, he wasn't, um, do, I kind of learned in a real press darkroom, you know, uh, developing film in the car. And so your car stunk of fix and all kinds of other chemicals and, uh, running around. Mike was, Mike was working uh, in the eighties, but he was always, I think he was a more creative photographer without a doubt than me. He was putting in the hours, but he wasn't London based. I mean, now with the transmission, it's out the equation, but those days you had to be, have a central London darkroom to hit the hit the newspapers. But Mike was somebody, yeah, he was a great great photographer, and I'm uh, I'm glad he wasn't London based because if he'd been running around with his work, I, I'd have probably got less used. Uh, I'm sure that's not true, but um, let's let's just um, let's start like what's your first photography memory? Obviously, like you have been around for a while now. Do you can you uh, go that far back and tell us what well, how to, how it all began? Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't. There's no Photograph, photographic memory. There's no memories of photography um, okay. before I started working photography. I okay. I didn't own a camera. I had no aspirations to be a photographer. I, I remember going off to uh, see some cousins one Christmas, and you know, they're a couple of Playboy teenage uh, sons, and I was really impressed when I was about twelve and said, "Oh, he's a photographer." And the guy's working at Butlins, and I thought. How can you get paid to be a photographer? Anyone can take a photo. What you actually get paid? And I, I couldn't work that one out. And uh, I'm still wondering today, to be honest. But there's there's um, a friend of mine came back from an Arsenal Blackpool match. He went with his brother, and he had a you know he had more money than me, and he had a colour roll of film one Christmas, and he took these pictures from the clock end at Arsenal. And it was uh, I do remember asking him, show me those photos again, show me them. But then years went by before I stumbled into a job which said you know it was the days of I flunked all my exams at school and um was out of work and my dad was getting pretty angry my mum said look just go up to just go on the train up to London and those days they call it recruitment now just job bureaus somebody had a job saying a trainee sports photographer would you believe just pulled it out of a drawer I said well okay I'll have that (laughs) only because I walked into this building it was full of uh full of football photos and i thought and they said i said why are these all here they said oh we don't know who they are so we lost the captions i'll never forget it was 1973 it was ipswich town and sunderland photocalls it's been there from the summer and i went well that's trevor weimark collinville joan mick mills and they went you've got the job so uh it wasn't on photography i didn't get the uh the job on photography it's just my knowledge of football really and um, and then I mean, you're gonna have to just explain that. So you've you've got the job already as a sports photographer, and then they've put you straight in the dark room. No, no, you? I didn't get a job as a sports photographer. I got a job to. I mean, yeah, I mean, sorry, at the, uh, I didn't no, mean sports photographer. I mean, you got a job at the company. Meant, um, well, I, I tried, Dean. I tried not to lay it on with a trowel, but it was winter was fast coming, and there was this huge icy cold sink full of prints and I had to put my arm in there well, put my hands in the fix first no uh, protective clothing provided put them in this icy cold bath wash them and then take them out and put them on a, to dry the prints and put the shine on them there was a glazing machine which uh you know a belt fed glazing machine I spent most of the day 
glazing prints and that was it that was the glamour side of it that's where I came in and I just used to annoy photographers by saying to them and I seriously you know didn't know what's this four five six eight on the camera these Nikon lenses in different colors I didn't have a clue what it was and 125th 250 500 on the on the dial on the top and they just looked at me like why is this guy working here? But I kept nagging them every day and uh, tested their patience and eventually, you know, just tried to learn from there, the really, really the basics. And the photographers um, that you were working for, were they sort of, uh, you know, well-established photographers at the time? Um, they weren't They weren't named. Uh, they were kind of Frank Barron was the boss and a great photographer, but he was more infamous because of, you know, he was just so haphazard, Frank. He... Um, but he was he was fantastic. His his work ah oh, stands up with the you know the best. And a guy called Joe Mann was there. Uh, he, he eventually worked for the Telegraph before he emigrated out to Australia. It was just a case of getting getting the feel of the day. What was the picture of the day? Not like oh that's quite nice. It was like this is this because and it had impact. And it was always. It wasn't, you know, um, we might get on to kind of more artistic photography. It was just, I, I, I don't know, there didn't seem to be such a, a cliched photo like there is today. It's where's the celebration? Where's this? It was just like, wow, what's happening there? Or, yeah, it just seemed to have some impact to me every day I saw something new. Okay. And um, and then how did you how did you move from that you know from the doing the fix and doing the darkroom stuff and how did how did you sort of uh, start picking up a camera yourself? Well, I started there in October '73, and I got a, a Zenith B camera. I think it cost forty quid, the fifty mil lens that Christmas, and uh, you know I could lay it on. The, oh, we had it tough, but you know we didn't have much money, and we're just living in Harlow, Newtown. And all my, you know, I was on £12 a week and I was paying my fares to come in for that. And I just remember going to Arsenal v Aston Villa FA Cup match in January. And I took it out. And they, I, kind of, I, think, I think Frank, he was tough. He gave me tough love. I think I had to buy a 20 exposure roll of film because he didn't want to waste it. And <laughs> I put it in and um, Arsenal were playing Villa. Villa were in the third division at the time. And they said, Somebody said, you go and do Villa attack. And they scored. And I come running back in the dark room. I got the goal. I got the goal because I remember seeing it. And I, I'd love to take a picture like this again because I panned the ball. I didn't know anything about holding the thing still. And I just panned the ball. And there was this sharp ball with a blur. And I'm thinking now, I'd love to see that picture again. It's probably, uh, probably looks fantastic. Probably looks a bit unique. But um, I just remember the laughter probably from people like Joe in the dark room. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. Oh, good, good effort. Try again, son. It was just laugh me out the dark room. You know, stick to your glazing, son. And uh, yeah, I just took it on and took it on. I thought, and I don't know now. I just think there was like the the pitches. There was lots of replayed uh, matches. There was lots of postponements. So there seemed to be through that February and March a game on virtually every night in London. And some people who were losing interest with the sports story at that place said. You want to come with me tonight to Tottenham versus Birmingham City? Are you mad? It's February. It's freezing. And I remember getting this picture of Martin Chivers scoring. And it ended up, there was a newspaper at the time called Inside Football. And I remember just, you know, staggering as I opened it up, falling to me, you know, had to sit down. That was my picture in that newspaper. And I was, I thought, this is it. I'm off and running. You're hooked. Well, that was it. And it obviously wasn't 
you, you know, you did the Hollywood version, you'd say it was this, you know, curve going straight upwards, but it was up, you know, two forward, one back, two forward, one back, sometimes three back. It was a, it was a rocky road without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, obviously the industry has changed and you've seen pretty much every change happen over the last 40 years. I mean, it's. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was almost as if the time I arrived, it had been, SLRs have been in, say, 10 years, single-lens reflexes, where the guys before were using the, the rollies, and maybe a few were looking down their nose at them, thinking, oh, fangled stuff, and motorised cameras were coming in, but it'd be a long time before I got a something that could fire consecutive frames. It was pick your moment, click, wind on, which was a great grounding. It wasn't as if to say, hose it and hope, hope the frame's there. Well, this is, the, this is one of the reasons I wanted to get you on, is because, like, you know, I have the um so much respect for you guys especially the you know back before auto focusing you know you're doing a lot of manual focusing and you know mike as well was a bit of a a legend in his uh, auto focus uh, in his uh, manual focusing skills he was yeah mike was yeah it was just i i, I think mike and a few others um really have struck struggled to come to terms with the the autofocus era I think you know it wasn't didn't do me a favour, but probably now I'm still in the still shooting and approaching sixty. My eyes going. I, I I've got to embrace it now. But I'm so glad I did the time. And, and people like Mike King, you'd go to a game uh, back then, and you wouldn't say there's thirty photographers and anyone could have their day. You'd look around and go, well, this is local paper, and you, you'd be honest. You go. He's, he's not going to get anything. And if the uh, thingy was there, you go, okay, okay, I'm going to have to split the. Uh, Split, split the uh, fees today with someone. You know, you looked around and thought, who can do it? Who can do it? And Kingy was one of those, you know, nice guy, but you didn't want to see him at your match because you'd say, you know, or you go and sit somewhere else or maybe we'd have the same respect. We would sit next to each other and chat. We'd go, we'd go either side because Mike would just nail it. If it came out of nowhere, you know, manually focused, tight, you wouldn't say Betty didn't get that. You'd just look. And there wasn't any surprise when, he, when Mike King got the shots like that. Never. Amazing. Um, I'm yeah. I'm still blown away with um, with the manual focusing, especially you know you know when I've seen you know people doing a hundred meter sprint or whatever yeah, it is you know yeah. a, player, a person running towards you, and you're just manually focusing well, and you you've I, got your I frames. I think I think the hand eye coordination. I I kind of had you know guys of my age had chats and they think they don't always agree with me. I think it was a lot of it was down to your eye, but I think once you got grooved with that lens you'd turn around and the play went from there to there you part of you would go it's it's that much of a turn on the lens to arrive at that point your mm. eye would have to do the rest but you knew you knew where you were with the i mean i'll change the subject dean i'm always a rambler but yesterday i went and got some tires mm -hmm. fixed and i went into this garage and a guy was about my age and he was i was just i was watching him he just took the valve out. He took the weights off. He took the tie around. He put the new one. He was talking to someone else as he was doing it. And I thought, this guy's actually got some really good old skills that were the same as when I was a kid. And he's doing it without looking. And I was fascinated. He probably thought, why are you looking at me? But it's seeing someone do that, and this is why I've actually booked in to go again for a day in a dark room because I'm thinking – I want to get back in and just get that enlarger and look at that. Oh, that wants a second more. Make some prints for myself because I think I think that's some dissatisfaction with the uh, nothing tangible in the business. It's all a bit, uh, 
you know, the modern era. It's fantastic what it's done, but there's just lost something along the way. I like to get the feel of something again, and uh, I am going to buy an older T90, I think, as well, and do some stuff. But it was, it was. I know, I know that makes any sense, but I just liked watching someone do their job, you know, with their hands. And, uh, the magic, the magic of that sort of, uh, yeah, the chemicals and you know the the picture just pops out yeah. and you know you, you know that yeah that definitely. My last interview was with a photographer named Vladimir Reese, who's a uh, Formula One freelance photographer. He used to work at Getty, and um, yeah, he's he was very much pushing the analog, you know, yeah. getting back and uh, using his Hasselblad again yeah. and and you know processing and all this kind of stuff as well and i definitely agree with you you know we it's just it's every all our pictures sit on hard drives now instead of in books or um in print it's it's a hollywood always loved that didn't it, it was a film blow up and you actually go in the dark room see the image coming out in the dish like this is magic and the light goes on you don't well you might do but you wouldn't really say click and look on the back of the camera that magic moment it's um there is something. It's not sounding. I, I I can't do it just to be, oh, look at him with his film camera. Why is he doing it? I think I've got to do it for a commercial reason. I have to find a reason I want to do it, get a project, but uh, not just to turn up and say to everyone, hey, look at me, I'm shooting film. That looks cool. You know, I need a commercial angle on it, but I, I think I'd, I'd like to kind of get one theme and just go and shoot some stuff again. Maybe Maybe I'll look at it and go, oh, Thank God, uh, autofocus is coming. I've lost it along the way, but I'm, I think you kind of I I try and use a bit of manual focus, and the safety net is the photographers will know the back button for the autofocus, and I'm using it more and more now. I'm relying on it more and more. Um, yeah, you know, I used. I think when autofocus lenses came in, everyone who was pretty awful rushed out and got one, and was suddenly <laughs> big pictures used. And I thought this is the end of days. What can I do for a living? And I spoke to a French photographer, Alan de Martignac, uh, who's a great guy, worked for Ons magazine, L'Equipe. And he told me, oh, you don't have to have it on autofocus all the time. huh? No, look, you do this and you push this back button for autofocus. Otherwise, you just use it like a normal lens. And not one English photographer had told me that they can work like that. Everyone just went on autofocus, hose it down with a plate. You know, here comes Ryan Giggs down the wing. It hits the Stretford end. It bounces back onto Ryan Giggs. You know, impossible to work like that. I don't know how anyone could work like that. But people who got, you know, too too sharp a match were now getting thirty two sharp. They they could easily forget the the mishits. But I know people like Mike King. It was just he saw a roll of someone's film bouncing, and they said, "Oh, look at this one. This is great." And Mike could only look at the ten that had you know whizzed past and hit the grandstand. And Mike was just yeah he. And Andrew Cowie of Colour Sport, I know Andrew, he's a fantastic photographer, still uses a 400 to 8 manual focus lens on his digital body. Uh, absolute legend of manual focusing. Amazing. I'm still blown away. I mean, I'm, I, I'll, I'm, I'll admit straight out that I'm one of those guys that uh, I used manual focusing before I could afford a, an auto-focus lens, but I don't, I don't know where I'd even start now with a manual focus. I, I kind of felt in a way that used to do it as you compose and line up the picture and you wouldn't have to have him in the middle which is a great bit if you were kind of you'd leave that bit of space either side when I started using autofocus I'd you know the thing was centered up I'd leave instantly leave that bit of space in front and I'd miss I can't shoot a guy up the middle of the frame I struggled to do that and uh I think I think the two came together Dean it was a case of 
you're following the guy, you're framing him, and your hand, you know, your right hand's doing that, your left hand's turning the focus ring. It was just a balancing act, and it was quite, it was comfortable. Now I find I put my left hand on the focusing ring, even if I'm using the back button. I just have to have it there, and I, I look in wonder at people who've got their hand on the lens hood, and I'm going, ah, it doesn't look right. It doesn't look right. Uh, on the lens hood or on the monopod? Oh, that's probably worse. Yeah, it's probably worse. <laughs> no, that sounds. I mean. It sounds snobby, but there'll be. I went over to France, uh, probably getting this stage in my career now. Somebody asked me to judge a rugby photo competition down in a little town called Elby, which was a great, great trip down the rugby club there. And a guy there, he gave up when SLRs came in in 1964. He said, It's all too easy. And uh, we saw some of his photos from the 50s and early 60s of French club rugby, and they were just beautiful, beautiful pictures. And so he'll be. He'll be looking at me as a novista. So there's, there's, I don't think I can turn around and say, well, I came in at the start of it. I came in, you know, when SLRs were there. So there were people frowning at that with the ease. So I think it's, uh, you know, it, does, it just keeps evolving in a way. Well, now we're into a stage where you can just press a filter and make it look like it's from the 50s. Well, you can fool some people. I mean, there's an interesting article with um, Don McCullen who just – despising digital photography and when he says it i think a lot of people listen but it, there is that thing and there's that temptation you go to a night football match or rugby match and it's the light's greeny yellowy and you can you can just click a button and make it look a warm you know warm that kind of neutralized same day that every photo takes place now i remember seeing a rugby picture in the sunday telegraph uh from a floodlit match and the light was fantastic and somebody really brightened this picture up and i thought I'd have gone. I didn't know it was a daytime game. And I looked and it was a night match. And I thought, this is really cheating now, this digital photography. But it's, I see what McCullen's saying. He's saying that the night matches should look, you know, under green lights, dark and shadowy and dreary and dull. And you should have your daylight matches should look polar opposites. But now it all kind of comes to the same same day all these digital photos are taken on. That's quite, uh, I understand his point there. Uh, yeah, I read that article. I think, he, and he was also mentioning the war photography. You know, it's all this, you know, <laughs> s- special colours, and you know, the, the, the yeah. manipulation of war photography. Days. You know, he. I think he was like, you know, you can't trust modern digital photography anymore. No, it's, so no, no point. You know, gilding the lily. His pictures. I mean, the shots of you know the Vietnam bog side in the nineteen seventies. You don't really say that look a bit nicer with a bit of filtration on there. It's, uh, no, yeah, amazing. Yeah, he's he's uh, a very uh, well-respected and rightfully so uh, war photographer as well, isn't he? He certainly is. I mean, I, I don't know what, what it takes for your psyche to be able to go and take those images. And he says he still shuts his eyes and they're haunted by them at night. I can, I can imagine. I think it's uh, – I've never – I've been doing this job for 40 years and, you know, probably ask – friends and family who don't haven't seen a lot of me at family gatherings or weddings blimey that guy's dedicates his life to it but i think i go so far with it and uh i think there's you know there's better photographers who absolutely give give all give that all you know it's like an actor say you know somebody just gets wrapped up in it and they can't get away and i think that i i you know i'd like to think that my photography i do i i can talk about it i hope this comes across in this and I'm passionate about it, but I, I can switch off as well. I can switch off. I think there's people like McCullen who must, and Tom Stoddart. I think these people really, really live it. And uh, 
the sports dog was on the same milk, I guess. People like um, the Neil Lifers and people like that seem to really be engrossed in it. And uh, I don't want to just put myself down on false modesty, but I think there's a certain point I go with it, and uh, I wouldn't, I'd never want it to eat away at me so much. Yeah, I think it'd be very hard. I mean, you know, we're going off topic a little bit, but yeah, a friend of mine, Daniel Berahulak, who's a, you know, used to be a Getty photographer and does uh, a lot of the war um, um, disaster areas and that kind of thing. And yeah, I've, I'm emotionally, I, I don't know how I, I could handle that kind of thing. I don't think I'm built for that sort of... Uh, no, no. I think if something awful had happened to me in my childhood, I could have gone out and gone, right, I'm, give me some of that. But I kind of had a very dull home life you know cozy home life and uh i think it shows in your character and you know you you, you get yourself i was at the high school for instance and um i didn't go trampling over bodies and i didn't come back with great pictures and some people have said oh well, is that all you got from it and i said when did you last see a dead body when did you last see a dead body when did you see 30 40 dead bodies with their relatives crying on top of them and you know did you think to yourself, this is a photo opportunity? And, you know, people did that day and people didn't. And I was one of those who, I was at the opposite end. By the time I got there, it had all happened. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, it was a big mess. And I'd never seen, I'd never seen anything like it in my life. And I wasn't, I think if you'd started taking pictures as the instant built up, built up, built up, it would have been a natural progression. But when we came down from the opposite end and saw it, it was just, ah, oh, take my bib off. This match won't happen. Put the gear away. I don't want to know. I just, and that was 1985. And I thought, you know, the season, I just thought it was another fight at the end of another very violent football season. And I'd just seen it all the time. It was, it was almost as if it was like watching a penalty shootout at half time now. Oh, there's a riot. If, you know, it's pre-match entertainment. It was just part of it all. And I, I'd had enough. I'd seen enough. And um, I really thought the sport was going to get killed. But from then on, it was tough. No English teams in Europe, 86, 87. And I just carried on shooting football uh, because I really didn't know anything else. And, more, and there's things like Shoot Magazine was still going and pumping out the stuff. And I was doing well out of that. And uh, it was so unfashionable. People would go off and shoot Torval and Dean or, you know, there was, you know, there was other sports to consider. But I, I stuck with it. You know, you'd go to Arsenal, there'd be 14,000 people there. And you try and find a background with a crowd in it to try and make it look a big match. And uh, plenty of the pictures have just got empty clock in, you know, or massive bits kept empty to keep fans apart. And, uh, yeah, it was a desperate time. But um, Football, um, the, the, I think uh, the English fans are still paying for that. I mean, they've still got this reputation across Europe, you know, as the, you know, the, the troublemakers and stuff. But from my experience, I think the English fans have become... You know, maybe the the obviously the Heysel and the the Liverpool um, uh, the seats have changed now, haven't they? There's no standing areas, and that yeah, that's and this, the English fans it, have kind of it, it's it, it's a bit like the photographer as well. The fans, I'm thinking, where are the? I used to go with my dad, take me to football. Then all of a sudden, you get to thirteen, fourteen, rebellious, and say, I want to go on my own with my mates, and that's what everyone did, and you misbehaved, never to the you know, never to the top end of the violent stuff, but you always thought you're on the fringes of it being a bit of a lad. And that was, that was, that's where they went. But now the kids go with their dads and I don't know when they start going on their own. They can't. And I'm thinking about photography now. I'm thinking about generation. Um, I've got a girl working with me 22, but you know, 
I'd started my own business at 20. You know, she's, she's kind of considered young, and she is in photography. I'd like to see some youngsters coming in. I'm getting on my high horses, Dean, warning. No, I just think it needs a shake-up. I think it needs a, almost like a new wave of photographers to turn around and say, you see those pictures you turn out every day, the goals from the opposite end, just one bloke running towards the camera. There's 22 players on the pitch. It's down to one guy. That's the picture of the match. Um, I think that someone needs to shake it up and say, maybe it has to start the desks and saying, should we, should we just look for some great pictures, something original to give people? Because yesterday I was at Norwich City v Arsenal and um, everyone sitting in front of the Arsenal fans waiting for that celebration. I was up the opposite end and Meza Ozil saw the cameras and ran straight at us photographers, putting his thumb in his mouth and doing some sign. And the people around me got apoplectic, you know, so excited by this. And I thought, He's a great footballer, but he looks—he looks an idiot in this photo. To me, he doesn't—that doesn't sum him up. His skills, his talents, his balance, his passing ability—just pulling a face. He looks—he looks a bit uh, deranged, and it's—it's. It's, but people think this is all it's about. One guy cut out the game, and I'm thinking, no, it doesn't doesn't make my pulse quicken anymore. It's uh, uh, sorry, that was my rant of the moment, but I'd, I'd love to see it torn up because it's almost like, as I was saying to you, it's sporting pictures. Somebody would come back with a picture and go, wow, what was happening here? What was this? And I can, rem- I can remember a name that would be familiar with people, Eamon McCabe, coming down to sporting pictures for a few trial games and being told, don't worry, if you miss the goal, sometimes there can be an after, we used to call it an after picture, what everyone calls a celebration now. If you miss the goal, sometimes the after picture makes quite well. This is a three-time sports job of the year. Eamon McCabe getting a lecture. And to be honest, we, we rejected him at uh, Sporting Pictures. His, his work wasn't up to it. But uh, that, that was interesting. But, uh, you know, as I say, Eamon didn't take that tabloid view of the match. He took a, okay. took a more creative. And uh, we weren't ready for it at Sporting Pictures because we were hitting the tabloid papers. But, you know, Eamon went off and did his stuff with The Observer and um, quite rightly built himself a, you know, just respected for the, just career. For, just for the record, I love your rants. <laughs> I didn't even know I was ranting that at the time. Oh, no, no. It's, no, it's, no, no, from previous ones that you said before. Come through and say, oh, it's quite a nice job. And, you know, I'll kick me nut down and say nothing. Because really, I've, I've, never, I've never been answerable to anyone. People go, oh, it's all right for you. You're your own boss. What? It's all right for me if I don't get a picture published. I don't get any money. Would you? Why don't you do it then? Do it that way. Because I can remember going to, say, you go to a party and somebody goes, oh, what do you, you know, what do you do for a living? Sports shower. No, I didn't ask what your hobby was. What do you do for a living? And they start <laughs> quizzing you about it. You know, somebody works in a financial world and they start saying, well, what? How does that work? And halfway through the conversation, you go, I don't know. How does it work? Oh, my God, I'm paranoid. Will I make any money this month? And it's, it obviously suits me because I've done that for the last, well, 1977, I went out on my own thinking I'll try it for a while. And I'm still here now doing my own thing. And uh, I kind of enjoy it and go go with whatever I feel is required. And, uh, so yeah, from, really, 70, from 73 then to 77, you're working for somebody. And then 77, you think, you know, I'm going to start. And w- w- your company's name is? It's offside sports photography now. Yeah, I just went out on my own as a freelancer, just as Mark Leach, sports photography. Um, yeah. Because they put me out in the firing line as a photographer, put my wages up considerably. Then 
started just the moan that I wasn't doing, you know, and I couldn't do any more. I was, I thought I was doing well, but no, anyway, they, they just kind of turned the screw on me. I said, well, you shouldn't have given me the money. And I said, do you want me to put me back on the money I was on before? What, what's your problem? And they couldn't come up with an answer. So I just went my own way. I thought, you know, 20 years old, didn't, didn't think too long. You're questioning. I, I got a letter saying that um, due to the you know, poor standard of your work, take this as formal written notice of your, you know, will dispose of your services unless the situation improves. So I said, I'll go now, you know, hot headed, but I'm glad I did. And uh, I, I believed in my own ability, but say, you know, still now you're thinking, you know, I'm editing Norwich City versus Arsenal and thinking, you know, look at what's on next week. Yeah, I'll do it better next week. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm not sure there's much room for improvement now at my age, but I'm still <laughs> looking for it. And then, um, so 77, you start your own, and then how, and how long before you start thinking, you know what, I need a few other people to start doing this, uh, or how long before the company sort of started yeah, to take it, shape? It, it kind of, again, like, no, nothing's been too organized in my life. I never thought I need someone. It was almost as if I was paying some decent checks into a bank, and this guy there said, oh, my brother's a sports owner, the local paper. Can I put him in touch with you? So this guy, nag, 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 and I thought, right, okay, you can start where I did in the dark room. And that's uh, Alan Cosley. In 1979, he started with me. He's now Watford FC's official photographer. I know Cosley well. Yeah, yes. yeah. So he started, you know, he's another Harlow lad, and he started with me. But I moved the business up. I got a bit, I was trying to build it a bit like a archive agency, and I missed the immediate. So I got myself a darkroom up in Islington in 1981, and I thought, no, I want to be back amongst it and hitting Fleet Street again. I missed that, to be honest. And... Um, Alan didn't want to move up there. He stayed and we went our separate ways. And I really didn't take anyone on to about after Italia 90. You know, I, I worked all those 90s, uh, all the 80s on my own. Um, okay. Took a young kid on called Sean Bottrell for three months. Uh, when Sean was having his, he just wanted to get out of it. He, and I think three months of me decided he, he would get out of it. Another great photographer. <laughs> with a manual focus mode and um yeah sean came back and you know started with all sport and became getty so uh sean did a few months which he still reminds me of what you know he's still looking for his uh carriage clock for those three months he put in and his uh pension plan <laughs> but um no I, I i couldn't i couldn't really control people i couldn't direct and be tough on people i know anywhere Listeners know Dad's Army, but I was like Sergeant Wilson, John Le Missouri. Well, if you wouldn't mind awfully standing in line, that would be very, very kind of you. Yeah, you know, I couldn't <laughs> turn around and go, "Oh, what's he done here?" You know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't get on top of it. But I think with Offside started up in two thousand and one, Offside Sports Story, and a lad came along, Simon Stankpool, and uh, I think I've given him, I've just matured enough to give him the tough love required. And uh, yeah, Simon's come on pretty well with um, you know he went to old trafford a picture of rio ferdinand standing there not doing a lot put it on facebook and you know 200 likes cool you were at old trafford wow and i said okay mate you've uh you've pleased the facebook gang <laughs> now you're gonna try and please me because that was crap, that picture you know and uh he's he's responded well he's responded well I know Simon as well. He will be a guest on the show. I've already asked him to be interviewed as well in the next uh, coming months. Better speak well of me. <laughs> I'm sure he won't have a bad word to say. And it's funny you mentioned Boss as well because he's the uh, he was my mentor. Right. He was the guy that I learned off as well when I first joined uh, Getty in the modern darkroom uh, right. as an editor for Getty. Yeah. 
he was uh he was the guy that I'd always take my work to to uh get um ridiculed and uh yeah well, Sean, get abused for, for no, what, what am I doing Sean, that for Sean's kind of got to a point where he's he's not gonna he's not gonna say very nice and if it's if it's not there I think um Sean a bit like me he's got this the tra- the bad traits is Sean's a shocking editor and uh, cutting <laughs> stuff, and I did. I was talking to a guy, funnily enough, I went to, you know, it's all glamour, I went to Charlton Athletic versus Ipswich Town on Saturday, and the guy who's the press officer for Ipswich, Steve Pearce, used to be a picture editor on Shoot magazine, and England walloped Turkey 8-0 one night, and I looked at this Neil Webb goal and thought, ah, oh, it's not good enough, in the bin. Went, you know, those days, drove down to Shoot, and said, oh, we've got all, we've got seven of the goals, where's Neil Webb's? Oh, it wasn't good enough. And, you know, I, you know, not transmitting it, driving back to Islington, getting it out of my bin, putting it in a mount, driving it back there, and it made it into this spread. And he went, you know, they used it. They said, that's fine. What, what's your problem? How can you throw it away? And um, that, that's it's not a good sign, really. You shouldn't be so proud to cut that stuff. I think Sean said he, uh, he beamed his Gary Lineker penalty miss against Brazil because he thought the light was awful. I don't know, something. And that yeah. was, he thought, well, he's, he's going to get that record goal. He's going to beat Bobby Charlton's record, so why worry? And uh, I, I kept my frame. Every time it appears, Sean goes, ah, that's another nail in his heart. But no, that you, you, can, you can edit too much, and especially the older stuff, as you move on, the stuff I threw away as transparency, it, it, it would make a... Make a lovely spread now, you know, just just the simple, simple pictures because, um, you know, just, just simple stuff, just fans outside a stadium, nothing to it. You know, obviously composed, nicely exposed, but they don't have to be doing anything, just doing their stuff, waiting outside the gates. And we're looking at some pictures from Anfield in 1994, I think, the last month where the cop was still a standing terrace and just, you know, the pastel shades, the shell suits. Everything and the price up there, 60 pence on the turnstile or whatever it was, six, seven quid by then. Um, just all those things just make make great pictures. And I, I think I think some pictures are for now. And some, if you have that vision, just think, what would this look like? Just lay it down like a good wine. Some of the, some of the stuff is just, um, I have to mention Jerry Cranham in this piece because uh, – we offside acquired his archive and some pictures just of fans outside Wembley in 1972 Cup final. It's all big penny round collars, tank tops, uh, shocking hairstyles, and just just everything about it. Big flared trousers. But at the time, a lot of people had gone. It's just kids waiting to go in the game. Where's the picture there? But Jerry thought, you know, he captured these moments. I think I think I had a bit too much pride. I could make enough sales out of my manually focused tight action stuff and if i saw someone taking pictures of a program seller in 1983 i think you've got to do that you can't yeah you can't cut it with the big lenses and you know me and mike king might have gone in together sneering but really there's no reason why shouldn't shouldn't do the simple pictures as well now i do make a point of that i make a point i'm catching up for all those pictures i walked past i mean as an arsenal fan the band used to march up and down the Highbury pitch, the Metropolitan Police Band at half time, and the guy would throw this big cane in the air and catch it, and all the crowd would cheer and try and put him off. And I saw, <laughs> you know, a Japanese photographer there one day just shooting a roll on this, and I probably said to someone, "Spot the tourist." And to my, you know, dismay, I had not taken one frame of that. I saw it a hundred times, and they're the things that really, the simple stuff, 
I think now quite often people are wiring at half time. They've got their heads in their laptops transmitting images. Um, I remember going to Wembley for a, and the story was the pitch is really awful pitch. And I think it was a cup semi-final. It was nil-nil at half time. And I've got my head in my laptop. Just what am I doing? There's no story. There's no pictures. Just you get, I, I did get trapped for a while just getting into that. And a half-time penalty shootout. This woman came up in unsuitable shoes, went to take the penalty and skidded across the turf, ripping it all up. <laughs> and every photographer was looking at their laptop. And I thought, there's your Wembley pitch picture right there. And what a great yeah. shot. And now I'm kind of conscious of that. Think, you know, look around. It's um, head in a laptop. So it's a sin. It's really has, uh, it's meant to be a time-saving device. And people spend so much time there unless... I think I took a picture yesterday, actually, and I think somebody was some incident was happening. There's a photographer in the background, and he's just just got his laptop. laptop. He's looking round, yeah, he's looking round. Hands in one of those big laptop covers, and uh, wow, that, there's your modern photography there, yeah. Well, that's it. It's it, I mean, you know, from the Fleet Street to now, that's that's the thing, isn't it? We're wiring so many pictures during the game because you know pictures are due, you know, five minutes ago. That you know, as soon as you get a frame, you have to be sending it. And sitting next to Simon at a match at Manchester City recently, I know, I, I know he does the same thing for you as well, doesn't he? He's he's wiring live during the match as well, isn't he? Uh, yeah, I'll try. I try. I don't know. I think now I, I went to Scotland versus Australia in Rugby World Cup, and getting older, there's too many bits you've got to take to a game. It used to be your cameras and your film, off you go. But now you seem to have, where's me dongle, where's this, where's that cable? Where, ah, it's, and I inevitably forget one piece of equipment every match. <laughs> it was my coat on Saturday, but luckily there was a spare one in the boot at Charlton. But I went to Scotland versus Australia with no laptop. And um, that would have been, a lot of photographers couldn't even function, I don't think. I don't think they could have functioned without feeding the laptop as they shot i went over because you know the getty guys you've got the transmissions coming off your camera now and sean was standing around bottle with no one to talk to and i went over and chatted to him at half time we were just looking at people in the crowd and i think eddie keogh took a picture of the two of us just raw i don't know what made we were laughing about we were just laughing at half time i thought that's what we used to do we used to go over <laughs> half time have a chat with a mate and have a laugh now everyone's sorry can't talk tap, tap. but i mean some guys some of you guys have got um contracts to be filled but a lot of the freelance guys are just i don't know where they're aiming them at they're just kind of thinking this is what this is how it's done now and uh, well I, it was the same we we've um getty started doing these pictures before the match you know the uh-huh. you know the fans arriving and that kind of thing and I asked. I remember asking some freelance guys why they're shooting that as well, because you know it was a sort of a contract obligation for us. Yeah. And they said, "Well, everyone else is doing it, so we do it as well." I mean, but is anyone using them? Oh, I'm not too sure. I, 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 I don't think they are at the time you guys go out two hours before kickoff, or there's nothing out. There. Um, I remember Simon saying to me at Old Trafford. The photographer's door is right. You, know, you literally open the door and you're right out onto the fans are there. And he just heard a noise and he's going outside. And the photographer's sitting there going, you know, the old school going, well, if you go out there, we're going to have to go out there. Let's just keep this nice and simple. Eh? And we just shoot the match. What, what, what are you going out there for, stackers? What, what's out there? I don't know till I go out and have a look, do I? And I just think there's a, you know, that mentality you don't understand. There could be a picture. You try it. I mean, we did a feature, another photographer, two of us did 
for Lig Keep magazine, the Arsenal fans coming down to Tottenham. And it was a four o'clock kickoff. And the best pictures, the fans were still going in at five past four. The game had already started. And there was this free song, there were police horses, and there was all this action going on. And, uh, you know, the noise of the crowd inside the ground as well. It was really... And, you know, I purposely didn't do the match that day to do that properly. And that was... uh, Wow, that was the time to be outside, not, you know, two o'clock or something. That's another one of my things. Why do photographers get to game so early? I mean, I was doing a 4.15 kickoff at Norwich yesterday. I was, I was getting my tyres fixed at one o'clock yesterday afternoon. And I got there and I came down the hill and the floodlights were on. And it was that half light and there's all this crowd. And I was just trying. I was trying to go slow shutter speed. Fans going to Carrow Road terrible Christmas jumpers in the window and I was just <laughs> trying to do something. And as you say, where, where's the market for that? Uh, I, I wouldn't know, but we, I know we do sell these images now and again. Uh, I remember what years ago, somebody wanted a picture for five lives saying we want fans leaving a stadium and photographers are kind of, they arrive two hours before and they go an hour off. They don't really see the fans and to come outside and get them all flooding out. It's quite a dramatic picture as well. I mean, people always used to leave before the end of games. That, that, that's take this opportunity to remind Sean Bottrell of one of the games he did for me. Uh, <laughs> Arsenal v Norwich City. I think it was three all or something. And Arsenal got a last minute penalty. Sean had gone by then. And this is Stuart McFarlane. I'm surprised he didn't mention that. He was a young lad, about 1988, 89 this was. He was behind the net and it ended up in a mass punch up in the back of the net. Players fighting. And it was, a you know, Stuart was one of the few who'd stayed. I thought you'd have mentioned that one. I, you know, sometimes you don't remember your own pictures. You need somebody else to remind you. But that was that was where Stuart kind of that was his first good showing of stuff. And uh, Sean was probably I'd say in the pub. But that's be a slur on the nature of the fine man. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sean, um, just uh, to bring Sean back into it, I he he told me something many years ago. Um, just every now and then, just to do this wide shot, you know, and to show the stadium and to show the atmosphere because, yeah, we, we, we've been so focused, like you mentioned before, about getting this tight action, you know, yeah. two men in a ball or tight celebration yeah. or, you know, goal pitcher, you know, just the man, the ball, and, you know, hopefully the goalkeeper or whatever, that, you know, sometimes we're forgetting the big picture, which is something yeah. that, you know, every now and then, well, like when I did it, old, uh, I was working at Old Trafford a few, about a month or a month and a half ago, and, yeah, I just thought, you know, I'm going to wait for the action to happen in front of me and just do a big wide shot with you know, the full stadium, it was, um, and that, you know, that's something that, you know, Sean reminded me to, yeah. to do. So, Well, I, I just, who's, who's the people who said, if the picture's not good enough, you're not close enough. I can't think, that was a great quote. And I think you should remember that because I have to tell myself, remind myself to do this, but if you've got a corner or an incident at the opposite end of the pitch, every photographer from a hundred meters away will have a telephoto lens. And let's be honest, the advert boards are massive. It's just a big mess everyone shoots it regardless so there's the goal imagine if it's last minute of a match you turn round behind you and see the fans it's either their team defending it they're panicking or they're hoping they're going to score there's your picture right right behind you on the 28 mil that's not one of these pictures that people take for world cup matches of people with painted faces oh my god that's not football fans this is the real deal this is people you know <laughs> with bits of pie coming out of their mouth or whatever they're just really not looking they don't even know they don't even see you with the camera because they're just looking saying you know either come on score or keep this one out and that's that's to me is uh 
There it is. Is it Magnum? It's a Magnum quote, I'm sure. Not pretending they're going to be giving me a call any minute soon, but if the picture's not good enough, you weren't close enough. And sometimes you're taking pictures. Well, how long's the pitch? 110 yards away, and the picture could be there, right on your shoulder. I, this uh, is another thing with the um, the shooting from the other side of the pitch, which seems to pop up too frequently for me in papers now. Yeah, yeah. Is, um, yeah, you know, you've got these you know amazing cameras and amazing lenses, and you know people who just seem to be cropping, butchering pictures yeah. from you know again short, from Sean's advice, you know, full in the frame, full in the frame. You know, he'd say, you know, you've got your zone where the four hundred meter, four hundred mil, and yeah. you know everything that's in that area. That's yeah. what you have to get. You know, if it's on the other side of the pitch, forget about it. You know, sort of thing. Which no, it's uh, unless it's Eric Cantona kicking a fan, and then you use it. But now it's almost <laughs> as if say four hundred mil is for the opposite end and the dugouts. And yeah. I kind of look and people are shooting the managers like mad. And I'm thinking, I'm a grumpy middle-aged man. Why do I want to come out and photograph grumpy middle-aged men? I want to photograph the athleticism, these things, you know, when the ball's up in the air and they just pull it down from around their ears on the end of their foot and they kill it. That, to me, that will never lose its amazement. They go, wow, look at that skill. You know, it's well, the leg. What's your favorite, you know, again, maybe not photography related, but who's your favorite player that you've ever shot then? Um, he wasn't that photogenic. I'd say Maradona's my favorite footballer. He wasn't that photogenic. Um, he's got, yeah, he's got to be. I mean, just uh, something was always going on with him. Um, some players possibly more, I, I like a goalkeeper picture myself. I like a goalkeeper. I've been, I've been trying to get Hugo Lloris making this massive dive for me and, uh, I think I went to Tottenham, and that's a that's a kind of discipline as well. A player's outside the box, and he's possibly hidden, but people still go. I'll, you know, I hope to get him in the frame somehow because it's the man kicking the ball. And again, you get closer if you just turn yourself around, rotate forty five degrees. There's the goalkeeper, and he, you know he might make that massive dive. And that used to be when I was a kid. All the football annuals had those pictures of the goalies flying through the air, and I loved it. And yeah. uh, I'll never, you know, never lose it. And I think Loris has never done that for me once. And I, I think I went and did Michel Vorm, the reserve goal he played one day. Sure enough, massive dive, <laughs> tipped the ball straight towards me. I'm thinking, I'm waiting for Loris to do this. Because there was a match when Joe Hart just became the England goalkeeper, 2010. First game of the season, Tottenham Man City. And he had a blinder. And uh, I just was on him. I just went on him. And a shot came, and he did it. And he, it's. I think when you when you're doing your job right, you slow it down. It was almost like Joe Hart just seemed to be there forever. And I thought, well, come on, just get. And I picked, you know, which frame, that one or that one. So many, you know, two or three frames on it, and it made every paper back then. I think the Sunday Times gave me a call and said, "Oh, this amazing picture, we used it. Could you tell me who he's making this save from?" Uh, no, I was just watching Joe Hart. <laughs> I don't know who shot because I wasn't looking. And they, you know, it's, it's interesting concept, but that's the thing. If you can just switch on to the goalkeeper rather than, you know, sometimes you're working on the side, a guy's going away from you and he's, you know, he's shooting with his back to you virtually. And what people will want that man kicking the ball and then suddenly look around the goalkeepers making that amazing dive. That, that's a picture to me. I do like, I do like a goalkeeper picture. Yeah. Okay, well, um, let's let's go to your favourite picture then. Um, 
I, I know it's not a goalkeeper because I've seen it already, but can you just give us a quick description? And obviously, I'll put a link to your um, okay in the show notes to that. What's a favourite picture of all time? Well, this was. I'll try and be brief. I know we're running out of time, but I was. This was me not one year into the job at Sporting Pictures and a bit of research. Let me know the first game of the season. Leighton Orient against Manchester United in Division 2. Now, this was Manchester United in Division 2, listeners. Um, it did happen in <laughs> 1974. Uh, and they thought, oh, Division 2, send the lad down there. Now, people were camping out overnight to go to this game. It was full house, and there must have been 10,000 United fans there just to go on the rampage to kind of say, we might be relegated, but we're still here. And Matt Busby came on the pitch, and the old Manchester United manager who was then a director to try and calm them down and it was too much for me I was thinking about getting a gold mouth picture and all these scenes going on and I was about the same age I was a 17 year old kid uh, I was a bit scared of all these hooligans and um, I've been too near me being on the terrace with these guys I was really scared but older more mature photographers were just using them as subjects I've seen some great pictures from that day but so a week later, I was relegated to be messenger boy at Arsenal versus Manchester City. <laughs> and I think I had a, I probably had a nick on F body then and a 50 mil lens around the neck. And um, the photographer said, what do you bring that for? Oh, just take some pictures of the crowd or whatever. And Brian Kidd scored at the North Bank. And I can remember the photographer getting this goal picture and just winding the film out manually by hand, looking around for me as if, say, go with that boy. And... Brian Kidd scored, fell off the pitch because of a little curb at Arsenal, and he ran to the North Bank where the police used to sit with their police helmets, and he picked this helmet up off the sergeant, and he put it on and stood in front of the North Bank, and they just went wild with this. And I ran along the 50 mil, standing up, took this one frame, and uh, the guy said, where did you go? Where did you go? Oh, nothing. And I came back to the darkroom, developed it with his goal picture, and... uh, I thought, dare I, dare I print and put my own picture out? And I did. And it made about three or four back pages. But I still love it. And uh, Arsenal versus Manchester City, 2014, so 40 years after, I went up to Brian Kidd before the match, who's assistant coach at Man City. And I said, here, Brian, I should have given you this 40 years ago. And he could have said, not now, mate, I'm busy. And he shook my hand three times, talked to me nonstop about his time at Arsenal, said how much he loved the photo, said it's going up on the wall with these picture of him and Pele and him and Matt Busby, and I couldn't have felt nice. happier. So it really did make it um, a kind of, I thought, is it a good picture still? But Brian Kidd's opinion of it rubber stamped it for me, and I just love looking at the faces. There's a guy with a cigarette on the corner of his mouth, you know, just people smoking, people standing up, people, you know, and they just go back, and there's the rooftops of the houses in Avenal Road, and I love everything about it. I used to stand on the North Bank as a kid, and then, suddenly for there to be taking that shot. And uh, no, I'm, I, I, you know, other people might point out other shots, but I think 40 years on, I don't think, I don't think I can got a, you know, that's my favorite picture still. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at it now and you know, the, the, the fans are, they really look crammed in there, don't they? I mean, you, know, you see football fans and you know that they're, they're packed in tight with the seats, but it looks like everyone's standing and everyone's yeah. really – Yeah. It's uh, health and well, well before health and safety issues sure. were uh, – No, it's just one big open terrace and the – yeah, it's it just – I don't know. It's just, it's just what it's got, Dean, I think, is that bit of humour which seems to be missing now. I don't know why everything's got to be this is this. this. You know, it's all got an agenda to it and it's all – he's angry at him and he's pointing at him and – 
I know you've got celebration. There's no humour in those. I just think that the newspapers would look and think, you know, we've got the news there. That's all miserable. Let's lighten people's lives up with sport, have a bit of fun. I mean, Monty Fresco would go out every day and he, he couldn't believe what he was getting away with himself. You know, just get a couple of footballers after training. He'd walk in the showers and with a yard broom and say, just, you know, clean his back with that, will you? And I said, why did you think that up? He said, I don't know. Uh, he just kind of do these stunted photos. I'm, I'm not everyone's cup of tea, but I I think they'd. Uh, I think it's great. I think it's it was just fun, and footballers thought, yeah, I'll get them a back page in the Daily Mirror. Why not? Uh, and it was it was a lot of fun. But now it had to be Mourinho doesn't like him, and he doesn't like him, and it's all ah oh, dear. It's it's only a it's only a game. Come on, lighten up. People do take it very seriously. I find that um, the, I mean, again, I haven't no way been doing this anywhere near as long as you, but um, even the security and um, the officials at, at, the, at the grounds, everything's yep. becoming, everyone thinks that, uh, you know, I always think it's sometimes, you know, you're acting like a, you're a brain surgeon and that you're saving lives. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's very, very serious everywhere you go now, isn't it, at the well, football grounds? When that, and rugby, that kid ran on at the end of the Rugby World Cup final and Sonny Bill Williams ended up getting yeah. his medal. I'm thinking... You know, I'm surprised the headlines weren't, you could have had a knife. I mean, at Arsenal, you knew kids kids would look up, see the TV cameras were up there, so it would be on the match of the day or the big match next day, and they'd run on the pitch at the end just to get seen on TV, just for a bit of kudos. <laughs> and, you know, a, an old steward would say, oh, get off there. And that would be, you know, a bloke in an overcoat who stood near the tunnel. The players wouldn't mind. I mean, be great. I mean, retro... My brother's a Tottenham fan, and when Martin Peters signed for Spurs in 1970, it was a massive signing, record transfer. And um, he he just said, oh, you should have seen the photographers chasing Martin Peters around the pitch, trying to get a picture of him in his new shirt before the game. And he used this as a thing to beat me up the Arsenal. He said, there must have been 20 photographers chasing him. You haven't signed anyone like that. You wouldn't get that many photographers chasing any of your players. <laughs> we used to go on the pitch before the game and get the new signings. And they'd try and, not now, not now, I'm busy, I'm busy. They realise, I better do this. Otherwise, you know, and the referee's blowing the whistle to start the game. So some new million-pound signing would crouch down and go, go on then, get on with it. And uh, I think the fans liked it. But, you know, the player trying to run away from the photographers and then chasing them and slipping over in the mud. And it was great. <laughs> I, I loved it. Yeah, to try and get in there, get the new signing on the pitch. And uh, nobody, nobody... You know, that was part of the job. And that when the match was over, you'd go on the pitch. Because, you, you know, stand there with 400 mil with stewards in front of you now. No, I can't see. I haven't got a long lens. I'd just go on there with a flash gun and get the winning goal scorer, or get some dejection or get something. As you say, close enough, it was all on a wide angle. I'd, I'd like to put a set of pictures together, you know, just taken on the pitch at sporting events. I think that, I think they look great. I'm sure you're the same as well. I've stood on, and this was only a couple of weeks. I was at uh, at Ajax at Amsterdam Arena, and my heel was touching the the line. You know, uh-huh. you're shooting the managers. Yeah. And the security came over and said, "Look, if you do that again, I'm going to have to get you out of here." And I was just like, "My foot is touching the pitch. It's not, you know, I'm not wearing spikes. I'm not wearing high heels. I'm not damaging anything. No, but the, it's it's so come serious. Second best, aren't you? You're going to play at full pelt." Fine athlete lands on you, and you you know you're cold. You're going to get the damage. They won't feed. No, but this this is the thing. This is before the match. This oh. is the players aren't even out. The players aren't even out no. on the field. You know what I mean? No. It's so serious. Like you know, even touching the grass. 
yeah. at a football match before the match. The players are in the change room still. Oh, man, I thought you is... during the game. Yeah. No, 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 not during the game. During the game, if you get anywhere near the line, yeah, you'll be arrested and uh, you'll probably spend a couple of nights in jail if yeah, um, yeah. you get near the pitch. I know the fans do that as well. They, they, they're always, uh, if someone gets um, onto the field, then they are um, arrested and given criminal charges yeah, now, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's all got very, very serious. But um, I, a question I wanted to speak to you about as well is, um, from memory, I mean, I haven't mentioned this, you're, a, you're a very much a prime lens guy as well, aren't you? Yes, Not a, yeah. I, I don't know why you, people can you, do, with the zoom, they, as if there's one, there's one place where the picture should fit. I mean, it's always this horizontal. Nobody shoots upright anymore. Uh, they kind of <laughs> stay on the 400 mil. When it goes, whoa, this is getting dangerous, something might happen, switch to the 7200 and take it all from there. And it's, I don't know. I, I mean, you must, I'm guessing you must be auto-focusing to be able to move the zoom at the same time. But I think these zoom lenses, to me, they start off crisp and sharp and, they sit in the back of your car over a few speed ramps and get jogged around a bit, and then they just loosen, loosen, loosen. So if you're going to be buying a new one every year, great. But I don't, I don't feel the quality's there either. And you used, you used to be able to improvise. I mean, like yesterday, Urzel came straight in at me, and it's I just put one picture up on Twitter. Actually. It's just his bulging eyes and his kind of ears and his face and I, I like it it's just a massive massive close-up of Urzel everyone thinks zoom back zoom back zoom in zoom in so everything fits horizontally nearly top to bottom and frame with a bit of room to crop and it's it's a bit dull I, I remember Sean Bottle was saying you know if you're on your 400 someday you know you know instinctively you can't change and if you change you'll be missing the shot just stay and do the top half and sometimes you just get the two players pulling their shirts at each, and it's it's a different shot. And I'm sure people used to have a, or sometimes you go with the feet, legs, and a ball. And I think people just used to shoot like that and say, "What it is? That's what it is. That's that, and that's that." And now it's almost we're looking for perfection. It's it's pin sharp. It's all set up nicely in the frame, and it just sits on that grid and looks like every other picture. And uh, who who wants that? I don't know. Any- well, what 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 lenses are you using then? You've, you you obviously talked about the four hundred uh, the four hundred. You've yeah, you use a one a one three five or something like that. No, hundred um, mil, hundred mil. I'm uh, hundred mil. I've got the okay. same hundred mil. When I went to autofocus, I Canon. I got it in nineteen ninety two, and I'm still using that lens. You're using the same lens yeah. from nineteen ninety two. And I said to Canon, "Hey, okay. can you do a piece on me?" No, we don't. Canon, what, photographer can keep a lens that long? No, we like people to say, I'm a pro and I change my lens in, lenses every six months. Uh, yeah, I've still got it there. Awesome. Could Yeah, I should do a little gallery, shouldn't I? Pictures taken on that lens. There's quite a few. Um, I, I like the 100, very light as well. And that kind of zoom lens kind of pulls down on you and it's, it's yeah. oh, no. Uh, yesterday at Norwich, I took a three. I'm liking the 300 these days. The sensor's so, the quality is so good. You know, you don't have to, who wants a 50 meg file anyway? I mean, it's, you can still work a nice 30 meg picture out of that, give yourself a bit of space. And it's, sometimes you've got a bit more in the shop. I, I like a three now, uh, three and a hundred mil. And I've usually got another, another body with a widey on it. And um, just to What widey are you using? Sorry? What widey is that? I, sorry? Again, a 2414. On the on the five D Mark III, I think that's a lovely combination. Um, okay. And sometimes you go places with it, you think 
I think if you, as I say, if I had a 16 to 35, I don't know what lenses they do, but you'd kind of zoom and everything would be there and it, it'd be there, there and there. And I think if you've got a 24, sometimes you go, it needs a 35. I know what, I'll have to think a bit more. I'll, I'll have to put something in the foreground. This needs something else, this picture, because it's too loose on a 24. And I think you just wait for someone to come in the bottom corner of the picture or you just, you just got to get a bit more creative. I, I like working like that, just thinking it's uh it's it is what it is you pick it up and you know you know your focal length you look at it straight away and go it's there i I, I don't know i'm not doing it for any fashion reason but i just think the quality is there with the prime lenses they're lighter and you just just accept what 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 you've got on it and um i say be a bit more creative well i like that that's that's one of the reasons again i wanted to speak to you because of um you know you've got the Bit of a different, you know, like like I'm like pretty much everyone else. I have the 7200, the 400, yeah. and I have a 1635, which I'm not a big fan of, as you yeah. uh, as you rightly describe. You know, after about three or four months of using it, it's um, yeah, 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 it turns into a bit of a tilt shift lens on the side of it. This focus is not uh, yeah. anywhere near as uh, what it should be. Um, and the other thing I find it's a bit moody as well. Sometimes it's quite sharp, and the other the next user the next day. I know. No, it, I, I couldn't. I couldn't deal with that. I've looked back at some old transparencies actually, and I'm thinking this general view of a stadium, which is now not looking like that. At all. I'm thinking, where where's this focus on? And it's literally yeah on a zoom wide angle zoom, and you're going, it's a general view. It looks like it's focused on the end of my boot. It's not there. It's just <laughs> incredible. Um, yeah, don't don't seem to have the feel for any. You know, you forget manual focus with a zoom lens. I think it's very tricky. Uh, yeah, I, I like I like a prime lens, and uh, yeah, I, I say I'm not going out saying this is my mantra. Everyone do it. I just just the way it's worked for me really, and I'm a bit old to change now. I think. Okay, so um, just the. Uh... What about what, what what jobs have you got coming up? What do you? Is there anything you sort of think? Okay, I I know you do you've done World Cups and looking at your um, website, you know you you do from amateur sports to yeah. you know World Cup finals. Is there something that you sort of want to do? Is there you know the Euros next year, the Olympics? Is there some things that you sort of um, still looking forward to that you're uh, desperate to go to? I I think I can't. I think if I really wanted to. I'd have done them by now. I'm kidding myself. Okay. This year, I'd have gone to Chile and done the Copa America. But um, I, I like it's kind of. I went and did some stuff in the Tour de France in the eighties. You know, in the Euro '88, I did, and then I, I got myself a camper van, which I shared a lift. We went round Germany together, me and Mike King. Yeah. One story. I was he was asleep up in the top, and I kind of locked him in the top of this camper van. I was down below. And I put the kettle on, thought, oh, I'll make a cup of tea. And Mike came down out of the loft bit, which was just full of steam, all his glasses steamed up, saying, Can you open the window, Mike? I mean, he's a big fella, but you never, how polite was that? I don't know what my language would have been like if someone had done that to me. But I took that camper van and went off and went around a bit. My friend was living in the Pyrenees at the time. I did a few stages of the Tour de France. And now that has got very, very fashionable. And I've kind of gone off it a bit because of that. But I would like to go and do a few scenics. Uh, I like the sound of this year's when the Euro's on. It goes past the normally landing beaches from Mont Saint-Michel, some of my favourite bits of France. I'd like to, but I think the people who really know cycling and really know the tour would be, they'd have the jump on me for that. Uh, I think I know football. That's why I should probably stick to it. But I say the Sunday morning stuff, 
I think I was at home and there was nothing on a Saturday, December last year, and I was big game on a Sunday. But it just got to like coming up to three o'clock on a Saturday, and I'm indoors. Ah, and I just went over the local playing fields in Enfield and went over and shot a big fat goalkeeper standing there with his belly out. And I thought, yeah, I've got to be out there. I've got to be out there at three o'clock. But as far as anything I want to cover, no, I don't think there's. I've never done an Olympic Games. I did the Paralympics when they were in London and inevitably found myself at the blind football. You know, there was all this great stuff going on, but the blind football just drew me in and I, I spent all my time doing that, really. Wasn't it phenomenal? I, I, I ended up working there as well. An amazing event. Oh, the, the bravery, those guys. I mean, they couldn't really oh. see. They just went flying in. And I love the fact that Argentina, Brazil went to type. Argentina all just sat deep, defended, playing for penalties. And the Brazilians were showing off silky skills. It was just, just amazing. Uh, no, I can't think. I'm just got to, you know, I think nothing on this week. I won't be doing a League Cup match. It's Dizzy Heights of Arsenal v Sunderland Saturday and a Sunday off. I'm I'm easing back a bit, but I I, I do. I kind of this time of year I like I like going out there and, and shooting. In the uh, the weather seems right. I, I can't. You know, I'm not a big fan of the summer. I think growing up, summer meant waiting for the sun that never came, and there was no. I mean, guessing by your roots, Dean, the Aust- when, when the Australian football pools came in the newspaper, that meant that was the week after the Football League had finished in England. Sometime in May, the Australian football results had come out and my heart would sink. And I thought, oh, <laughs> and I'd just be, you know, when that fixture annual came out, I, I'd just memorise all the fixtures. I couldn't wait for the football to come around again. And, you're uh, sounding very. You sound very British there when you say, oh, you know, you like it nice and cold yeah, and grey. yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's. Um, it, I mean, I was disappointed with that rain at Norwich. It looked looked quite promising. And I said to a photographer in the wire room before the game, I said, I hope it's photogenic, this rain. He, he went, photogenic rain? What are you talking about? And I thought, I hope it really comes down in steroids and you've got something to work with, you know, and um, slow the shaft speed down a bit and get a really – I don't think I've ever really nailed all those times I've been soaking wet. And you can hear this cold isn't going to go away any time before April. Um, I don't think I've really nailed one of those shots. Well, not to my satisfaction. I'm, I'm still looking for it. The big, the big rainy shot. That's what I'm after this winter. Oh, it's great that you're still uh, inspired to get those shots. The shots you've been working on for years, well, yeah, and you're still, you're still pushing to get it again. The things that you did get at football in, in the top level football in England was mud, and that's yeah. so missing now. And uh, I think that's probably it. Go and look for a nice lower league where they haven't got a synthetic pitch in January, February, and find some proper mud. Even football, rugby works as well. Uh, I think that's something that really, really is missing from the game. I mean, you look at your 80s, 90s, early 90s football, and it was short shorts and mud. So Stuart Pearce had come in with a slide tackle, and he'd, you know, he'd have half a pitch left on his massive thighs. You know, they'd just be and socks down as well. You'd have this huge expanse of flesh covered in mud, and you'd see all the bruises. And I really, I thought that was something great about football. Pictures are missing now. You know, they're. Oh, don't start me. When the gloves come on and the knee-length socks, it's... Uh... <laughs> tights? What about oh, tights? Are you, you... <laughs> I, think them, I think And the snood got banned. It was stop the world I want to get off at that point. But no, it, it's still, you know, it's still got its appeal, football. When, uh, you know, I'm still going. I'm not sitting here now. I'm not going up to Norwich. I'll tell you about the time I went there and da-da-da-da. You know, I still go and I'm still hopeful. I'm still looking... You know, still, I pretend I don't like football. I pretend Arsenal's poor performance doesn't get to me, but I'm, I'm lying, yeah. Well, the, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, um, obviously, you know, we, 
you've been very generous in your uh, sharing your history and all your knowledge and stuff. But the thing I wanted to compliment you on was um, a Barclays 20-season Premier League photo award. Yeah. Does that, uh, can you just explain what that is and uh, for our listeners and what, uh, what an honour it is, really? Oh, yeah. Barclays generously sponsored an, an annual award for photographers. And I felt a bit like it was always going to go to a newspaper. So quite right, they're putting the prize money up. They're going to go, well, we want something back. Here's a double page spread in the you know, newspaper saying, our yeah, guys won this award. And they asked me to go in for the uh, 20 seasons. It, people saying, oh, you've been there from the start. We want you in it. I said, no, I'm not interested. I know how this is going to get carved up. To be honest, that's what I said to them. They went, no, no, no chance, no chance. We want you in this one. And uh, I kind of looked and thought, it was hard. You know, if you've been to 20 seasons to pick five pictures, because I didn't really ask anyone else. You think you could, you could have won it. I bet there's a few photographers out there saying, I've got my selection wrong. I could have done that. But I think I got it right with a good balance of pictures. And, uh, yeah, when they called me up, I can't pretend it was it was a surreal moment. I thought this, this happens to other people. And out of all the ones to win, I don't, I haven't been in for that many competitions. I'm not, a, I'm not in that kind of loop, but it was the one I wanted. Uh, and Michael Regan at Getty, he turned around and said, well done. No surprise there. You were always going to win that. And I thought he's quite, you know, quite sharp with his comments. He tells it like it is. And I took that as a big compliment really. And, uh, I looked at other people's work and there's Andrew Cowie, a color sport who's been around that time. And, Bradley Ormish possibly won three or four of the awards. And, uh, yeah, they all pass on their best wishes. But, no, I'm, I think it was summed up what I wanted. I think I did make a good good selection. And um, I think it was helped. Somebody said one of the judges was a Nottingham Forest fan, a big picture of Brian Clough. A couple of people said, Brian Clough, he wasn't in the Premier League. And that was his last season at Forest. And, uh, okay him coming off the pitch there with all the fans around him. And I took a chance, went up in the stands above the tunnel. And I got there, and these two huge blokes were in the way. And I thought, well, I tried. And literally, they looked at each other and said, come on, let's go. And opened up. Before somebody else jumped in that gap, I had you know, one frame, Clough looking up, his hands up, surrounded by you know, police holding the crowd back. A lovely, lovely photo, yeah, of, of wow. you know, an absolute legend as well. Mm. Well, I mean, it just sums it up for me, like um, the caliber of photographer you are, and to get uh, recognised for um, twenty years of amazing photography, Premier League. I mean, it's a phenomenal effort too. So, um, congratulations from me as well, Thank even you, though it means nothing, but uh, a deserved winner. Thank you. Oh, I'll, I'll uh, take that. Yeah. All right. Well, Mark, uh, thank you very much for your time um i think i could probably do another four or five or six or seven episodes with you or in um some stories of you know yeah more detail about your um tour de france or football or i mean yeah you've got i know you've heard this before but so many stories that uh people love to hear so um i i might have to give you a call back in the next uh in the coming year or something like that to go back and we can go over some other ground if that's okay Can can i leave you with one story my favorite one of course probably no i just <laughs> i went up manchester one time and i thought i'll pop in and see those days big manchester desks all the newspapers i went into the express just to have a chat and uh see the people up there and the guy was saying it's this was back in the 70s i think and he said oh he said uh yeah it's 
we, we put out about eight, nine photographers on a Saturday for the Sunday Express. You know, it was a massive paper. The Express was always a big picture paper, employed lots of photographers. And uh, he said, I'll make them come in Saturday morning to get their film off me, wherever they're going. I said, oh, why is that? He said, well, I want to know how drunk they were the night before, <laughs> what condition they are, and where to send them. And the guy comes in and said, oh, no, early to bed, Anfield view, Old Trafford view. Oh, my God, look at the state view, Crew Alexander, this guy. And it started <laughs> the season in August, boiling hot day. And uh, nil-nil, Crew versus Port Vale or something. And he just nodded off. In the last minute, there's a penalty. And the referee used to stand by the goal line near the photographers quite often. We'd have to move for him. And he, he blew his whistle, said, wait, wait a minute, woke the photographer up and said, don't you normally go behind the net, please? The guy looked up, went behind the net, and he blew to take the penalty. I thought, that's, that's an era we're missing now. That's, that's, that's how it was. And uh, no, I'm not saying we all go back and get hammered on a Friday night, but it would be interesting to see people just... Just take a different angle on things. Just take a you know a bit of individual individuality. People used to look at a set of slides on a light box and go, "That's him, that's him, and that's him." That would be it. you know you'd know. And now it's a bit bit tricky to uh, separate the guys. I think, but um, yeah, let's not give up. Let's let's get it back somehow. All right, mate. Well, um, again, much appreciated. Thank you very much I for your time. It, and oh. and uh, yeah, I will be over in the UK soon, and uh, I'll uh, hopefully we'll catch up again. Be great. Thank you very much, mate. Thanks, Dave. Bye. Bye. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, you said you wouldn't listen to this again, Mark, but I hope someone, maybe your protege, Simon, can pass on a massive thank you to Leachy for speaking to me. I will be speaking to you again as well, Mark, hopefully. Um, again, someone passed that on. Um, as I, I could listen to your stories all day. So again, I appreciate your time and, uh, and your zest for life as well. I love it. Um, so on Twitter, uh, Mark Leach is at Len underscore Scap, which is at L-E-N underscore S-C-A-P. That's uh, Len's Cap for anyone that uh, has put that together. Or at Well Offside, his company. Um, his website is at uh, www.welloffside.com um, and he's also got a Well Offside on Facebook so you can find all that kind of stuff there. Of course, as always, there is a link in the show notes to his site, social media and the images we spoke about and there are also some sites which showcase his uh, five pictures that he won the best uh, Premier League photographer for the, over the last 20 years. So again, uh, for all sports fans, not just football fans, I'd uh, recommend that you have a look at those uh, those photos. I mean, it's uh, quite a feather to have in your cap if you can say you're the best photographer over the last 20 years in the Premier League. Um, now, photography philosophy listeners out there in podcast land again, do you like the show? Do you hate the show? Um, if you hate the show, I'm not sure why you're listening. Um, but uh, do any of our my American listeners not understand my guests or my accent for any reason? You can contact me on my Twitter handle at AllSportsNapper or my website, AllSportsNapper.com. Also, if possible, can you spare me a couple minutes of your time and write me a review on iTunes, please? Um, you can share this on Twitter. Add me into the tweet if you have a few extra seconds. If you, th- if you uh, think this is worth a retweeting or tweeting or whatever they call it these days um my my twitter handle uh, um on my twitter handle i do post a lot of uh 
work that I do and also a lot of uh, work from some of the photographers I look up to as well. So it's a bit of a sports photo uh, feast as well, I'd like to think, that um, I'm selecting some nice pictures. So um, yeah, if you'd like to uh, follow me on there, you'll be getting a lot of sports photography on there. Um, so again, you can subscribe to either iTunes or SoundCloud um, and so you can don't miss an episode and I'm a bit irregular with the episodes but I do try to get them out as regular as I can but with work and other commitments it's not always as easy um, but that's uh, about it so again my name is Dean again thank you very much for your time I appreciate uh, all the listeners that have been uh, giving me an hour of their week so thank you very much and uh, last thing of course observe listen and practice because your best photo could be one frame away. Mm-hmm.